0: Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost and Criterion. I'm John Patrick Owatari dorgan and with me, as always, is a man who's definitely an ethnic stereotype.
1: <laughs> I am the Adam Glass, and uh, I mean, listen, maybe not an ethnic stereotype per se, but I say oop a lot. <laughs> uh, just going to squeeze by you right there. That's, a, that's part of my vocabulary. I am. <laughs> nice. I am Midwestern. Uh, in all of my verbal ticks. Um, nice,
0: yeah. You are you're ethnically Midwestern. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So Yeah, so I mean that I, I
0: get it. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, you know, I
1: boy, this movie, man. Our right. main character is ridiculously too Irish.
0: Yeah, he's just he's ir he's <coughs> take Irish and then like, well, does this dial go to eleven? Yes it does. In fact, <laughs> go to eleven. Uh <laughs> Oh boy, he's like walking around singing Irish folk tunes. It's, it's a bit much, right? Like it's a little overplayed. <laughs> then he meets some Russian wrestlers, and they're they're <laughs> that guy's. Whoa, man! Yeah. And I don't know what the ethnic stereotype of uh, being able to do uh, parkour is, but it's somebody's ethnic stereotype.
1: I think one of the major saving graces of this movie is that we don't hear the chinese grocers talk i know it's a it's a <laughs> miracle before we get to the movie this week I want to talk about our patreon patreon.com Full of slash...
0: parkour one hundred percent one hundred percent
1: parkour patreon uh, patreon.com slash lost in criterion if you want to uh, support us keep us going for just a dollar a month you get access to a bonus episode over there we do a non criterion film we let our supporters vote on what we're going to do uh, half the time we let them make the list too on 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 great occasion we have let them make a list uh as of this recording, the most recent uh, vote was for October, and we let our longtime supporter, Jason Westhaver, put together a list of Godzilla films in response to the release of Criterion Spine 1000, the Godzilla box set.
0: I didn't realize, is it timed up with the, the, the anniversary of Godzilla also? I believe so. I, I believe, believe that's is. one of the reasons. I was, I was at, and this is going to be a weird conversation, I was at the toy store... Uh, and they had a whole bunch of Godzilla anniversary uh, figurines yeah, uh, on sale. So
1: it's what the 65th anniversary, though. So it's kind of a it's a weird, <laughs> weird yeah, celebration, know, <laughs> celebratory like they, number. Was,
0: they were making a big deal out of it, though. So I don't I don't know why. Uh, yeah, the 65th anniversary. Yeah, it's it's a weird one, but like they're making a big deal out of it.
1: All right, well, good I, for them.
0: I don't know. Now it may be true that because I'm not a big I'm not a I don't know what they call Godzilla lovers I'm gonna go with Godzilla head. Um, uh, it's possible that this happens every year. I don't know. <laughs> but it's just
1: they have a big anniversary the celebration. The 63rd
0: and <laughs> official 63rd and they're all year long anniversaries. Of so yeah, exactly.
1: Uh, but yeah, we. Uh, we we had jason on that episode this really great episode uh it is a fairly long episode uh hour 45 uh much longer than normal but uh it was really good to sit down with him and uh and learn about godzilla and talk about godzilla and japanese culture a lot yeah we Um, did we 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 went pretty deep into that japanese political culture a lot too so yeah we did i hope i didn't say
0: anything that's gonna get me arrested later (laughs)
1: Well, as long as the police give us a dollar so that they can listen to the <laughs> so episode. So they can listen
0: I'm gonna turn it around and be like, You stole this, didn't you? Mm-hmm. You're going
1: to jail. <laughs> Intellectual property, man. Those laws are stringent where you are. Two year two years in jail. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, um We've done a we've done a real wide array of movies over there, uh, some very good, some very bad, some that should be in the Criterion Collection, some that actually are now in the Criterion Collection. We did, uh, uh, oh, not Dog Day Afternoon, but the other Sidney Lumet movie we watched, Failsafe
0: um, Well, I mean, Dog Day Afternoon should
1: be in the also Army. should be in the Criterion Collection. Failsafe actually is in the Criterion Collection now, as I, or at least announced to be. Uh, but we've also watched uh, some really terrible movies. Uh, Critters 2 and uh, Ernest Goes to Camp are, are fairly mid-range for some of the movies we've watched. Considering yeah. that on on also that can, relative yeah, scale, yes. Yeah, also contains uh, Will Ferrell's Kicking and Screaming. But yeah, we, uh, we watch a lot of, lot of different movies over there. All non-criterion films, as I said. And uh, you get to vote for just a dollar a month. And you get access to both the new episodes, the ones you voted for, and all the previous episodes, too. Um, in their own little RSS feed. You don't even have to visit the website, which is great because Patreon's not a great website.
0: No, it's not. Um, <laughs> it's very confusing.
1: For, uh, for a little extra uh, $5 a month, we do like to thank those people on air and thank you to Adam Speakerman for your continued $5 support. And Adam yeah, Speakerman, over the course of our life over on Patreon, has suggested multiple uh, uh, movies and multiple uh, full lists. Um, yeah, he's pretty times. prolific in there. He's been uh, he's been that. pretty great for for our votes over there. Uh, for a little beyond that, ten dollars a month, we do something that I think is really special. Uh, Pat makes a piece of art based on one of the movies we watched recently, and I get that printed up on postcards and mail it out with a little thank you note to our ten dollar and above supporters. We also like to thank them on air. Thank you to Michael McGrath and Jason Westhaver for that support. Yes, thank you, uh, Pat. A couple of months ago now. <laughs> Made yeah. probably the best piece of art he's ever made.
0: I'm going to get it framed a, someday. I a sure parody
1: got it. movie poster for Corridor of Blood uh, from the Monsters and Mad Men box set from, from a couple months ago back. Uh, and uh, he followed that up with a card based on GMK. <laughs> uh, our bonus It actually printed itself. Month. It's cursed. Uh, Godzilla, Mothra, and King Ghadira. Uh And it is, uh, it's the worst thing I've ever seen. In yeah, fact, it's
0: uh, I like to think that I I figured out the answer to where did the ring come from, <laughs> just in postcard form. That if yeah. you see this postcard, this postcard will generate itself for you
1: somewhere else. It it'll I, just keep happening. I was so much more <laughs> speedy on getting these printed and out of my head this <laughs> month.
0: I, I, You know, we, we joke, but I, I, I deeply enjoyed making that postcard. Yeah. It, um, is, it is painful to look upon. It is not kind to human beings. It's not. But it it's was not. a pleasure to make.
1: Yeah. Uh, it is. Uh, <laughs> I literally. No, no. Usually, usually I don't get the printing back until at least like the 16th or the 20th of the month. Uh, I mailed them out the 8th this month.
0: So do you think also the people who printed the postcard just wanted to get them the <laughs> fuck out of their hands? I as really as think possible? they
1: may have. They're like, oh
0: god, I don't know what this is, but it's it gotta, was, it gotta was get also, out the door now.
1: It was the quickest turnaround on printing like, I've ever had.
0: I, I'm looking at it right now. I'm still deeply, deeply <laughs> in love with this thing.
1: <laughs> it's well, cursed. Hope... It's
0: very clearly cursed, but I am deeply in love with it.
1: I uh, I signed off one of, the, one of the postcards I sent out This month with uh, uh, I saw this It was upsetting so now I share it with you Just like yeah. Twitter <laughs> uh,
0: Yep that's how it works uh,
1: But yeah Lost in Criterion uh, uh, Sorry Patreon.com sorry, no, just, slash Lost in Criterion If you want to get in on any of that And see both the highs and lows Of Pat's artistic career Yeah Um, Back to back That's pretty much it I'm never going to top either of those It's never (laughs) going to happen That's probably fair (laughs) This week we are talking about a police procedural from 1948 The Naked City Or just Naked City, apparently AKA, according to Wikipedia I
0: find it very confusing Because (laughs) if you look up Naked City, you get the TV show Yes uh, Or a band, apparently Because of course
1: yeah, this is a Jules Dawson uh it's got some noir elements, but police procedural is definitely the more accurate description of what it is and it spawned well, a Well, I mean
0: it's a it's a film noir police procedural, yeah.
1: right? I mean that's what it is. Well, part of part of noir, I think is outside of police, either criminal element or or
0: Private detective. Yeah, I mean, I we could have a really long conversation about that. It really depends on like I think there's a lot of functional definitions of noir. Yeah. Depending on your perspective on it and like what makes something noir and not noir. Uh, honestly.
1: Well, uh, I will say it never rains in this movie, and I think that's pretty important to a noir well, film, as far as I'm concerned. Right, well, so.
0: well, I mean, let's get into that because I, one of the things I was going to talk to you about is, I mean, this is. Uh, you know, I mean, it's not, it's not, I guess it's not early, honestly, because noir is older than
1: this. Yeah, it's 1948, uh, it's not, it's not early for noir.
0: But, like, what this feels like, anyway, despite that, is, like, almost, like, some sort of uh, nascent, like, uh, an- like ancestor of, uh, precursor of noir, in the sense that, like, it feels very unrefined. yeah. Does that make sense? Like it feels like imagine that like and and that and that it doesn't make sense. I mean this 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 observation doesn't make sense because the ages just don't make they, they don't they don't line up, right? But like it has that feeling of like later noir films cut out all the weird extra nonsensical cruft in it. Yeah. <laughs> like if that makes sense, uh I again, I don't necessarily think that's true uh, it's just that's how it feels
1: yeah i feel one of my story element definitions of noir is definitely an anti-hero and i don't think yeah. we get an anti-hero in this and that's that's a big one for me that keeps me from calling it a, and i
0: i would outright. i would agree that that is a logical argument to make and yeah. i don't i don't disagree with um i i think a lot of the definition i think the 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 narrator like the narration is doing a lot of the heavy lifting on that noir definition there yeah like and and then also i think probably to a certain extent the pacing yeah uh, noir's like noir's in my in my feeling about them have that even when noirs are not police procedurals they have the pacing of police procedurals in the sense that like the plot Plods along right you get to the point you need to get to in the plot eventually right like you don't they they very rarely just fly off the handle immediately uh they they tend to a, a slow burn to get to the yeah. climax right and
1: that's definitely present in this that uh, that's fair that's fair yeah yeah no you're, you're it's right. a,
0: it's not it's just, it's not it, you would not use it as a like textbook example, right? Because it, it misses the mark on a lot of places. It's I would argue that the plotting is too slow in this movie actually. Maybe. Uh, the lead up to the climax is at points ridiculous. We are like, are you fucking kidding me? Are we going to watch these people like do their laundry?
1: Yeah. Uh well, you know, so I think as far as the noir thing goes, maybe maybe it's a no there's no such thing as a fish situation too. Uh you know cuz yeah, anything certainly no noir contains all of the elements that we would th- say are indicative of a noir
0: well i mean and, my 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 primary definition are there uh, are there drawn blinds with light coming
1: through them? <laughs> yeah. if
0: you've got that you've got noir
1: stylistically lighting and and high contrast <laughs> that's, all, that's all you and, really yeah. need actually
0: yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, you're right. I I think that's true. And and even if you if you go to the, like we've done this before. If you go to the noir uh Wikipedia, Wikipedia page, it has an entire like problems of definition. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Nobody fucking knows. Yeah, it's like trying to define
1: what a screwball comedy is, you know. Right,
0: exactly. You
1: know it when you yeah. see it, but you can't really.
0: Right. And and that's actually the problem with this is is I would say that it, this one is right on the edge there, right? Like Yeah. You, the number of people who would readily define this as a noir is probably a fair, it's certainly not if it's a majority, it's only a very slim majority, right? Like, uh, Yeah. Whereas there are other movies out there where like, you're like, is this a noir? And they're like, yes, sure, shit is, yeah. it. it is And it's, it's not, not this movie.
1: I. It's been a long time since I've seen the setup. Um, 1954, Fritz Lang um, or not the setup, The Big Heat. Um, it's uh, Fritz Lang directed. Glenn Ford stars as a police detective, but it's certifiably a noir, and I think probably even uh, even qualifies as uh, he might even still qualifies an anti-hero in that noir. But uh, but that's the the big thing about this one is there's really no antihero. It this movie, it, as much as it's about anything, is about everybody being a cog in a functioning society,
0: right? Which is actually what is what. Uh, you know is how a police procedural is supposed to function right right? like i mean that's mostly and and that is the problem right is that like what what breaks the sort of noir vision here is the fact that it is first and foremost a police procedural yeah and a functioning police procedural where everybody's actually doing their fucking job (laughs) right Right, like is not a noir in the sense that like there's no weird anti heroes there's no there's no flying off, you know off to do whatever you want to do to like solve the case right. come hell or high water it's just everybody doing their job yeah um you know so that's
1: now an interesting aspect of it is that there is room for some leaving the strict definitions of proper uh you know and and it even pays off uh like the one detective who wants to run the jewelry against the list of all stolen jewelry. And the main detective says, yeah, you're not going to find anything, but go ahead. We've got nothing else to do. <laughs> no no right, other leads. Right. Uh, and then it does pay off. But uh, but as it turns out, because the main criminal we've been investigating is an idiot.
0: Uh... <laughs> right, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, that's that's part and parcel of this kind of police procedural, right? Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, but like, that's the interesting thing, right, though, is he's he's not... He's flying solo, but he's not flying solo like against orders, you know what I mean? Yeah. Which makes it that, it yeah. really puts it in And that, even,
1: like, even Detective Halloran, who is off really flying solo, doing individual beat work, and ultimately, uh, to his own detriment, uh, he could have very easily been killed for doing this. But he does right. it with the permission of his superiors.
0: Right. Absolutely. And, and then and that's an important distinction that I think does sort of fly in the face of the, the sort of noir definition there. Is yeah. That like he's just nobody's operating outside of uh, the rules, basically. Right. right. Uh, even the people who are taking unnecessary risks are not doing that.
1: Yeah. And they're they're operating within the confines of the rules, uh, even when they may be fudging the strict the strict hierarchy of the rules. Right. Where where, you know Hollerhand shouldn't be going off alone by the rules. They should always be going in pairs. That's why you have a partner, right? right? Uh but he's not going off alone so that he can threaten somebody or, or yeah, pull his not, gun yeah, on somebody off, or, or, yeah, saying, yeah. or commit a secret murder. He's, yeah, going he's not off, doing
0: any of those right. kind of things, yeah. Uh yeah, I mean it's just it's more like it's honestly with that it's weird because they don't seem to be operating in partners yeah so it's all it honestly feels more like maybe they just don't know how police work like whoever wrote the book is the movies is just like I don't know he just he goes and hangs out in this diner and uh, orders a I forget what he orders but whatever.
1: <laughs> well the other or instances something. for the most part we always do see the detectives partnered right uh, and it's just that that Hollerhand wants to run down this lead and Muldoon's got nothing, no other ideas. So he lets Hollerhand run down this lead. Um, And Hollerhand says, I'm going to do this on my own. It probably won't pay out. So Muldoon says, yeah, just check in every day. Uh, And then it does pan out and it almost gets him killed. Uh, Right. Great job. (laughs) Which, you know, there's probably going to be some sort of... Investigation about why he was attacked, and maybe a reprimand yeah, in the future. Maybe. But it's like
0: 1946, yeah, or 1948. I don't, I don't, I, I, I don't know whether there will be an investigation or yeah. not. Honestly speaking,
1: well, this probably yeah, isn't going to matters. end with a uh, with a uh, green for danger style letter where Hollerhand writes, "Yeah, I almost got myself killed, and a bunch of other people. Maybe I should be fired."
0: <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it's the unlikely, I think. Yeah, it's it's you know, it's. A, I mean, it's an interesting. It, it's an interesting enough story. I I enjoy police procedurals quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, it's it is a weird personal like fault of myself that I that I enjoy watching the very thing that I, I a thing that I dislike in real life very very much. Uh, I think it comes from actually. I don't. It's not police procedurals that I like. I just like procedurals. Yeah, like if you created a some other kind, if somebody went out and created another kind of procedural, right? That's and not, we've talked about how involved the the oppression of, of, of various groups inside of a yeah. city. I'd be up for that. Yeah,
1: other other noirs we've talked about that are really just criminal procedurals. Were are yes, just I, as I, interesting. It's
0: excellent. Yeah,
1: and we can't we can't talk about either of those genres without talking about High and Low, which effectively right. does both. Uh, right, Yeah,
0: it's, it's basically both, and is it is fucking just out of control. Like, I mean, talk about sort of refining a genre down to its, you know, yeah. what elements do I actually have to have in this, and what elements do I not have to have in this? Uh, high and low definitely fits into that category. Well, it's mostly just a telephone, but uh, <laughs> <Yes>. it's also <laughs> super intense. I've made, a, I've made an hour and a half long movie that's 80% telephone. Ugh.
1: Yeah, high and low is <laughs> great. Um, it's an amazing movie, but yeah,
0: let's yeah. that's not what we're talking about here. Right, uh, we're kind of talking about sort of the opposite of that. So,
1: one of the uh, one of the bonus features on the DVD, um, is an interview with Donna Poland, who's a New York University film studies professor, um, and he's he's pretty wide ranging on what he talks about. Uh, About this film. Um, Mm -hmm. Almost like he wasn't prepared, honestly. (laughs) Um, Okay. Perfect. uh, But but he starts off talking about this movie being uh, about post-war manhood. And coming back from the war and uh, fitting back into society. And sort of being shoved into these cogs. Uh, shoved in the machine as as a functioning cog but but you're still allowed a little bit of individuality as long as it doesn't take you out like all of our police detectives are interchangeable any one of them could be doing any of the jobs we see any of them doing right. but they're also all different people they're individualized we see their personal lives we so see Muldoon <laughs> yeah. making his breakfast
0: yeah, yeah, we do we do see some pretty interesting bits of personal life at right, this, yeah.
1: Right. And even even the ones who we don't know a lot about, the 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 one who does the uh the jewelry investigation um is still visually different from the others. Is the only one with that heavy Brooklyn accent. He's still individualized.
0: Right. Yeah. And I, and I, I yeah, that makes yeah, that's a it's yeah. a, an interesting observation.
1: Yeah. Um where I think that is interesting, balanced against, is that this is a movie that also is about assimilation. In that, you know, Maldoon is our is our primary character, right? He's the one we spend the right. most time with. He's sort of the uh the point of view for the police procedurals because he's the boss there, right? And uh and he's very Irish, right? And he's he's right. He's assimilated. His Irishness has been assimilated. The Irish have become white. Uh, you know, we've talked about that in the past and how different, uh, different ethnicities, European ethnicities, slowly get accepted into American whiteness uh, because American whiteness is about power and status quo versus outliers. Right. And the outliers here aren't necessarily all immigrants and ne'er do wells. Well they're ne'er do wells of course because they're bad guys, but but you know, we get we get the high society guy, uh, the doctor, who has committed crime but he's also presented as more of a victim of crime, too. Right. Right. Because he's been he's been tricked into falling in love with this uh with this woman who already has a boyfriend and they're, you know, just robbing the houses of this guy's friends. Um. But the the immigrant societies that we see when they go to the Lower East Side and they're looking for the wrestler, um, the ultimate murderer uh, Garza. Um, right. Yeah. You know, we talk to a lot of different uh immigrant people. Uh, the the root beer shop lady. Uh, the little girls uh, and everybody's more insular, and they want to protect. Gar- it's like uh, it's like that scene in Bicycle Thieves, where they want to protect the guy from their neighborhood because, as far as they're concerned, the guy from their neighborhood could do no wrong, even though he is a violent murderer. They don't right. see him as that. To him, to them, he's the guy who sits on a stoop and plays harmonica sometimes. Right. And uh, maybe he's a boxer, maybe he's a wrestler, whatever he is, but he's not a murderer, right? He hasn't murdered anybody here, certainly. Um, And it's, you know, to a certain extent, this movie portrays Manhattan as an assimilated America where everybody's doing their job and staying in their cog. Uh, And the Lower East Side is still this wild west of unassimilated people who are insular, who will protect their own without regard to American ideals of law and order. Uh, and symbolically, you know, once the chase starts, we see Garza break the order of general life over and over again. You know he runs through the little girls playing uh, jump rope. right. Um, and we get that aerial shot of him running down that promenade uh, on the bridge where he's he's continually disrupting everyday lives um and it is his lack of lack of assimilation that's doing that to a certain extent too uh and that's that's not necessarily what Donna Poland was arguing, but it's it's certainly thoughts I had based off of what he said right okay yeah um and he it, yeah. not <laughs> I'm not going very far away from what he said but <laughs> Yeah.
2: Right.
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah, I mean, I get I get that 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 um thought process and I and I think it makes uh a yeah. lot of sense. It's But like when when you get into that then, so what I mean, okay, so as an argu as a an observation about the way the film functions, right? What is it basically the fundamental argument of the film that everybody just needs to hurry up and assimilate into American society? Like I think it's I, you know what I mean it's also like, is complicated that, is that
1: the though point? within the film it's complicated because on the one hand, yes, it seems to be arguing that, and yes uh the police are intelligent, and the uh everybody else are kind of dolts in a lot of ways, um mm. whether they be simple uh as as you know. Simple in their understanding. They're not being rational, is what I mean by simple. They're being right. emotional in their response to Garza being accused of murder. And the police are rational and, and above that emotional response. But at the same time, I think we're, we're sympathetic to uh, not necessarily the assimilation of the Lower East Side scenes, but the integration of the Lower East Side scenes at least. You know, We see a lot of different ethnic groups interacting. It's still a functioning society, right? Even right. if there are, even if they are kind of silly and maybe don't trust the police, um, and of course the the police we see give them no, give us no reason for them not to be trusted. This is this is the right. pro police movie. Next week we'll get into the anti police movie. Well, <laughs> that, that's the interesting
0: thing, right? Is that, like, with. but most people aren't necessarily un you know is an interesting turn of the film in the sense that, like, most people are not also hostile towards the police at all. Right. Right? Like, they, most...
1: Yeah, no one doesn't trust the police. The,
0: the, with, with regards to sort of the function of the police in society, this is very a, a very ideal film, you know, idealistic film in the sense that, like, the police are functioning about as cleanly and smoothly as they could within a right. society as you could possibly imagine.
1: And that's... Right? like. It that's fantasy in that way right that's but, very normal for a law and order for a for a right, police yeah. procedural um
0: well yes and no i mean you know i mean as as a person who has watched way 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 too many police procedurals in my life um you know the the, the nature of whether or not there are or are not antagonistic relationships with the police tends to, to it, it's always beholden to the story right like a making right. the story interesting. And there's actually, I would argue, a surprisingly low percentage, of, like amount, of antagonistic relationships with the police in this film. Yeah, uh, we have our a couple bad guys who are noticeably antagonistic and right. and uh, untrust, don't trust the police, but almost every normal citizen is just
1: right. And that's okay. That's one thing I think uh, Poland's trying to point out is that this is this is an ideal society. To, yeah, for sure. In yeah. many ways. And the people who have committed this heinous murder. And we even within the New York that this movie is presenting, that is the murder is an outlier. Everybody in the city is talking about this thing because this is a thing that does not happen normally.
0: Right. And so in that sense, I would argue that um, we've not watched a lot of movies of this type, but um it almost reminds me of if you've ever seen and i don't i know I've encountered this kind of movie, and my main my brain automatically goes to sort of a a version of sort of propaganda film, but like the idea of like ah, this is what will disrupt our our utopian society, like right. you know what I mean right. like you know kind of almost like real hardcore Russian like communist propaganda <laughs> propaganda film where it's like we need to tell people what kind of element disrupts right.
1: our utopia. Uh, well talking about talking about a communist element is interesting here because one we don't there's no there's no left right politics like that presented here no no um, not at all yeah. certainly certainly, we could argue about well, politics and as property. much as as adherence right. to
0: like <laughs> to the right. nature and the and the purpose of the police yeah. is not a form of politics, is, right? yes, clearly.
1: this is by no means an apolitical film and that and it, nothing is apolitical uh but uh but there's no you know our bad guys aren't bad guys because they're russian agents or something right uh, right yeah, yeah yeah you know which we've we've certainly seen even in other dassin films like night in the city uh right but uh but dassin ended up going to europe because he was blacklisted right and the right. screenwriters here albert maltz and Malvin wald were Investigated by the House on Un- Americans uh, Activities Committee. Uh, there are at least suspected communists making this movie. Right. right. Uh, at multiple levels. Um,
0: well, and that's an interesting thing to think about because this movie does focus on sort of the idea of utopia being to a certain extent focuses as you you know we talked about on the idea that like utopia functions when like everybody sort of just does their thing right, right. does the thing that they're they they should be doing with little I'm
1: individuality calling. and and in that regard america law and order is presented uh as i guess the other side of the same coin as a uh, communist uh masses right no one the criticism of communism is that you are just a cog in the machine you're just a worker you're not there's no room for individuality in a socialist society because uh the government's forcing you to do a job that you wouldn't necessarily want to do in america you have the freedom to choose what job you want to do uh and of course i'm i'm you know paraphrasing propaganda there, not actually right
0: absolutely yeah but i mean well and you know if you but the weird thing is is that like this movie is not meant to, I don't think, be a commentary on that observ right. that belief or observation Certainly not. because uh I mean they it does present an a fairly utopia uh utopian society functioning in capitalist America.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, so it's not even meant <laughs> to be in New sort York of City in capitalist America too. Yeah. Which is its own yeah. just interesting commentary, period. Right. Uh one of the other videos accompanying here is an architect named James Sanders, uh, talking about, uh, the movie as a snapshot of post-war New York City, uh, right? because there hadn't been a lot of, uh, architectural development through the, uh, through the thirties, through the Great Depression. Right. Uh, and, and then, then there's... Straight into the war, right? Yeah, yeah. Where there's a lot of industrial, uh, change, um... And, and because of that, we start to get changes in, uh, how the city looks and more, more larger buildings, et cetera. Uh, but one thing he brings out that's, that's very interesting, uh, is he calls, uh, he calls 1947, the year this came out, uh, possibly the last year of a sort of New York society that had existed since 1830, if not earlier of sort of European-style living where the kids play in the streets and there's always crowds right. in the streets and moms just lean out the window of the tenement to, to keep an eye on their kids and people yell, yell at people on the street from the tenement windows and uh, of a style of living where, you know, and I think to a certain extent... That still exists in New York. I think it's it's wrong to say that completely disappeared. Um, you certainly still get public crowds utilizing public spaces uh, for their own enjoyment in, in right. huge numbers. I mean,
0: what what? But what you're what what he's actually saying in in whether or not he's doing it on purpose or not, where he should, I've, I've lost track of who we're talking about at this point. Honestly, <laughs> the architect. But, uh, the architect. Um, what the architect's really pointing to, whether it's on purpose or not, is the fact that uh, a process that, that built pretty steadily after World War II up until today is the constant sort of reduction and minimization of public spaces and yeah. the ability to do that, right? Like, with that European-style living depends on things like your the two buildings across the street not being, you know you know 150 200 feet apart yeah you know what i mean it, they're those those styles and that they and the the extent that they exist now in modern new york presume you know i would assume is where that hasn't where that sort of i don't know what the term would be because it's not exactly i don't know what the term for that is but sort of the modernization of building where you're like, okay, we're going to make sure everything's this amount of space apart from everything else, and we got to make sure we can get this size of car through this space. Um, That changes the way that cities function, right? Uh, Sort of the adding order to the the chaos of the city also inherently reduces the sort of natural tendencies of human beings to congregate and stuff like that, right? Like, I mean, people tend to build in a way that... naturally tend to build in a way that optimizes their social interactions, whereas governments tend to optimize, you know, government and economic interactions, which have different needs, right, uh, on a sort of grand scale, right? You you, you, you want to be close, close enough to your neighbors that you can easily, you know, communicate and work with them, as a person, but like you know, that's that that doesn't benefit society necessarily with regards to sort of economics and, and government function, right? If you can't get a if you can't get a, a a police car or a fire truck in there, that that you know that works counter to what the the you know government wants things to work as, right? So I don't know. It's just interesting. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And it's, you know, it is, uh, a function of capitalism to, to separate yeah, that mean, stuff too. Yeah. So.
0: Well, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's just a, a thing that, like you, you can find is that, um, I don't know. I ran into it on the internet cause it's what the internet does at this point. Uh, the primary function of the internet is to just show me random shit occasionally Yeah. while also getting me super angry all the time. Um, was that what, what uh Central Park used to look like yeah. before they decided they needed roads? Uh <laughs> and that, that that's a that's an intense amount of public space. Right. Like that's a that's a, a really, really intense amount of public space. And then when you have that much public space available to you, it, it kind of no matter where you are, you choose yeah. to make decisions that are pretty different than well. You know, I mean, like, you know, if you think about you and I walked through Columbus a while back together, like the decisions we made were pretty specific because where were we going to stop and sit down? Right. No way. There was nowhere we could do that at. Like, the place where we could stop and sit down was a place that sold us shit.
1: Right. But think about even further back than that. And and Central Park, before it was Central Park, is land confiscated uh, for public domain. Uh, from a uh, uh African American middle class neighborhood. Right. That that uh somebody decided was uh not something they wanted in central Manhattan, apparently. Right. So, yeah, I
0: mean yeah, I mean
1: Yeah. It's Absolutely, yeah. It's that's yeah. Use of public the space point. uh is complicated. And I think about Columbus too uh Columbus had a big downtown mall that for years was derelict because of larger uh, suburban malls that popped up. Uh, And about 10 years ago, the mall got torn down. And it's just, it was called City Center. It's, It's barely just south of. The center, the actual center of the city. The state house is is less than a block north of where the mall was. Mall got torn down, and they converted it into a 8.5-acre park space that they called Columbus Commons. And part of the point of Columbus Commons, always, was a revitalization of downtown. And revitalization always means increasing property values, right, period. Right. About a year into the park's existence... It was a space being publicly utilized by people all over the city. They had events where people were coming down to the city. There's uh, the Pops symphony concerts that take place there that, uh, you know, even if they aren't free to the city, it's an (laughs) open-air public place. Right,
0: yeah. How do you keep a concert? uh, (laughs) Right.
1: Uh, and, uh, And about a year in, they sold the three acres of that, that front high street, and put up five-story apartment buildings with commercial space on the first floor. So a third, of them, over a third of the park gone. And a year after that, they sold the two and a half acres on the other side of the park to, um, I think one's an apartment building, but there's also uh, business offices. Uh, so now we've got a uh, three-acre park that's in a strip between private housing and private housing and some, some office space. And it closes off the park one way, you know, right. Because when you have three, when you have nine acres, that are going street to street. Uh, you have a, a bigger sense of space than if you even had nine acres that were surrounded by buildings. Right. Right. Yeah. The way that functions mentally, uh, well it well, means also, that
0: everybody who's on the street is essentially already fundamentally in the park. Right, basically, right. right? Like, even if you're, you're the across the street, well, street from the park. The, right.
1: right. <laughs> I'm in the park, right. Yeah. yeah. Uh yeah. <clears throat> you know, whereas uh you know, if all of the buildings around Central Park were on the uh were on the opposite side of the street, you know, on the park side of the street, even if the park were just as large as it is, it would feel smaller. Right. Uh and that's that's my point there. And so, you as
0: a person on the street would not feel like you right. necessarily are able to just go in there, right? Right, because you're like, right. you have to find the entrance yeah. to the park.
1: Now there's, now the street, yeah, now the park has an entrance as opposed to just being there. And, you know, it's, it was always a community gathering space more than, you know, there's no playground on this park. There's a, there's a merry-go-round, like a, like a actual, like carousel merry-go-round, uh. But there's no there's no play activities, there's no jungle gym or swings or anything. But uh,
0: yeah, that does yeah. yeah yeah.
1: So it's still a downtown park in that regard, it always was. But it is a space we literally called Columbus Commons, and then immediately started parsing off to sell, to the point where it becomes a backyard to those apartment buildings. More than it is a public park.
0: Right, exactly. That's what I was thinking myself. Was wow, you've created this lovely uh, green space for these apartment buildings to right. share.
1: Right. So, so the uh, you know, the the dissolution of the commons um, is is something Columbus has done in the last ten years, just just by its of its own accord, because <laughs> uh, we're jerks. Uh, so yeah, and then, <laughs> and then part and parcel to the uh, the new apartment buildings and the re- revitalization of businesses along that route uh, were business owners and new residents complaining about the uh, people waiting for the buses outside. So Columbus, uh, at first, very negatively. And then they spent five years working on a plan to do this more covertly. Uh, All of the buses used to meet at the same intersection so that you could easily, like every bus bus route in the city, or at least 90% of them, went through broad and high. So that if you needed to switch buses, you did not have more than half a block to walk.
0: Right, which is you know, yeah, good, good public for a city this size. It's actually very design,
1: good yeah. uh, public transit yeah. uh, transit design. Uh, instead, Columbus, in order to keep people from congregating at Broad and High, Columbus uh, has spread out uh, three different zones downtown, where where uh, different bus routes meet one another. So, a third of them meet in zone a, a third of them meet in zone well actually I think it's actually four, so quartered um so now you've got instead of half a block you've got three quarters of a mile uh right which that you might be needing to get right. to
0: and 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 think about what that what that means i mean I mean, I understand you know what this means i'm just i'm thinking about it in terms of like you had a spot where you had hundreds of people, right? like intense, a, a really intense amount of human traffic, right, Yeah, in one spot. That should have been, honestly speaking, even in a, in a ridiculously disgusting capitalist society that we <laughs> operate in right now, should be a fucking gold mine. Right? right, right. The problem is, is what you're actually saying, what they're actually saying is, is bus people are not the kind of people we want to sell right. our wares to. right. That's not the sort of people we want to market to. Exactly, they don't buy the kinds of stuff we want to sell, and and that's a wild thing, right? Because, like, you know, i a thing I keep uh, a thing I keep thinking about a lot recently is um, I, I, I I retweeted something about this the other day, but the idea that like uh, ch- you know somebody posted a, a thing, I think it was uh, who was it? I can't remember which uh, journalist posted, it. but the idea that like, frankly, like charities are not are non democratic. They are right. they are almost anti-democratic right in nature right Like we have no we have no way to control the way their money is spent whereas you know government money we do And a thing that I've been thinking about before that was the fact that like just how fundamentally ridiculous the idea that capitalism is a is better like is honestly better than government in the sense that like we don't like people always talk about voting with your money right or voting with your feet like and how how subpar to the actual ability to to directly affect the happenings of your own society that is yeah uh like you know the idea that like somehow well i mean i can convince this company to do this thing by not buying their shit is is radically different than i could join this thing at any time and literally make it do a thing that's different uh these things are not the same right like right. i mean i can I could tell this company I'm not going to buy your shit until you pretend to care about the thing I
2: care about. Right.
0: Or I could literally run for office and change the thing I care about to be what I want it to be, as long as enough people agree with me that that's yeah. how it ought to be. Yeah. Those are not the same thing. And um, you know, when we get into uh, this kind of stuff, it's like, even in our ridiculously capitalist society that we have, like these people don't capitalists more often than not want to control much like we get into with like redistricting and stuff like that, want to control who their customers are rather than accepting the customers that are fundamentally there in front of them. Right. Yeah. Like you, you see that in sort of like um, classes on, on, on marketing and stuff like teaching your customers to want the thing you're trying to sell them or something like that. Yeah. Like that's a, like that's not even capitalism at that point. I don't know what that is. That's not even the thing that is described by people who froth at the mouth about how awesome capitalism is.
1: Can I, can I put yes, just please, a little nice little pin on the story of Columbus Commons right now? Absolutely, I'm Sorry, sure it's not I, I
0: went off a little bit. No, wild, no, 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 but...
1: no. everything you said plays into this, and it's great. Uh, so, so after we've eliminated two thirds of the commons, uh, after we've moved the bus lines, so there's no longer people congregating on the outside of the commons apartment buildings uh so first floor retail was always the plan in this these buildings and there's been a struggle to get retail into there uh nothing's really lasted with with the exception of a uh of a taco restaurant called condado um which is its own half-hour episode, (laughs) I could talk about like Because now you're talking Uh, about
0: tacos, and, man, I'm super hungry right now. (laughs)
1: But but there's been some higher-end restaurants in that space that didn't last very long. Um, There's been some, I think, coffee shops in that space that didn't last so long. Uh, Nothing's been in there permanently, it seems. So now, just announced two weeks ago, the big, the big uh, retail development in that apartment building that we we took the commons away and then moved everybody away from is a Dollar General.
0: Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's my point. Like, thank you um, for just that. Like the fundamentally broken idea that like somehow the market will just make good choices is just <laughs> fucking insane like that dollar d- they're gonna have to move all the buses back together <laughs> right? right because why would the dollar general not want all the people who are physically gonna be right at that spot to all just be at that fucking spot right oh it's insane yeah. like oh my god that would have been, oh my God, that would have been, that would have been a beautiful synergy right there of like, just like, oh, I've got to change my bus and so I can run inside and get, you know, get some yeah. of the shit I need for home. Oh my God. Man. And
1: if, if, uh, These if those other local businesses and those, those people who own those condos are so concerned about low income people congregating, then a dollar general buying the first floor of their building. is
0: <laughs> just not going to like, it's not going to solve their issue. is it? Right. Right. Uh, well, I mean, except for, you know, had they not fucked with it, they all, all the people would have been in the Dollar General rather than hanging out outside, right? Because, right. like, right. if you had a choice between hanging out outside and doing a little light shopping.
1: <laughs> or or just being warm inside a Dollar General. Or just General. being warm
0: inside, yeah, inside the place the public yeah. won't kick you out. Yeah. Uh, why would you choose to hang out outside in the fucking frigid... Yeah. Columbus Air. So yeah, or, anyway. burn, or boiling hot, regardless of you know whichever season it happens to be at the time.
1: Getting, uh, getting all back to the, the film though, <laughs> the movie that we yeah. watched. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that should that should be you know that's a that's a certified lost in Criterion catchphrase now. <laughs> getting back to the movie yeah, we actually true. watched. <laughs> yeah, yep. Yeah. Um, I think. This, film, this film's class consciousness doesn't... It doesn't really want to make any overt critiques. Um, but it is something to say that the... Uh, the uh, crime takes them from high-end Park Avenue to the Lower East Side. You know, the crime... This individual crime bridges the gap between high and low society. Um, and that's got to be saying something. But at the same time, again, the police are the smartest people around. And the criminals are violent idiots.
0: Right. And um, the police are certifiably and, the good guys with yeah. no, and, no moral gray areas at all.
1: And the lower class emotionally wants to protect those idiots and are kind adults themselves in a lot of ways. <laughs>
0: like, Right. Yeah, I mean, they're not. Yeah, that's definitely yeah. true. And And, you know, I mean you know that 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 kind of um that that kind of thing can go both ways right you know we watched uh bicycle thieves not that long ago and yeah. you, there is the argument to make that like if you read it from, if you just read it if you squint and just read it just right is that is the idea that like you know to a certain extent classic solidarity is more important than uh you know than this sort of, like, illusion of law and order, right? Yeah. The, the idea that, like, we have to protect this person because society has not protected this person. Because presumably... Uh, boy, I can't stop fucking using that word. Um, <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with me this, like, the last couple of weeks. But, you know, one can assume that um, that he is a criminal... That society has had some some input on making him into who he is, right? Like... He wasn't born and then like came out holding a gun and stealing shit from people. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, and and, and the the movie's not trying to tell us that. I don't believe that the movie's trying to tell us that. I'm just but saying, at the same time, you know, there's no,
1: there way. are no, there's no cultural understanding. There's no, there's no class consciousness in why these criminals are criminals. Right? No, the movie
0: doesn't get into that at all. Yeah, that's the the saddest part about this movie is actually the fact that like we get. Air quotes motivations. Yeah. We don't get everybody's
1: individual. Everybody's individual motives here are either greed or lust. Period.
0: Right. Right. And then that's and that's a and that and th- and that honestly is what makes this kind of only a mediocre police procedural because we never we never really get into the heart of the the real meat of the matter. Honestly, like you you do. Police procedurals are about steps and processes and and ha- how methodical work leads to results uh and that's what makes in many ways what makes them enjoyable but you still want them to to try to get into some innate element of humanity right you do eventually want them to dig into something they you do they they still have to be to a certain extent uh social commentary yeah uh and and you know what you know that in that in that in many ways is what makes them whether or not they're a good one or a bad one is where what place that social commentary goes to because ones that don't find eventually discover that you know we're all responsible for the way this what happened here uh, are sort of failures right like in the end the police need to make whether the police understand it or not the audience needs to come to understand that like the police are a part of society they're not. They're part of society, not a, a, yeah. a separate entity from society, and that means addressing the ills of society itself. Yeah,
1: I think it is interesting. the The narration of this movie is interesting. Period. The the, <laughs> yeah. the vocalized yeah. opening credits, which I think they steal steal from Wells. Uh, I'm pretty sure he did that earlier than this. Uh, the fact that it's the producer who introduces himself as the producer and gives his name instead of some sort of nameless authoritarian voiceover. He defines his authority, right? Right. It's just its own weird thing. But then to end this with, um, you know, there are a million stories in the naked city. This has been one of them, which becomes the, the closing line of the series as it runs, you know, a lot of, like I said earlier, a lot of this movie is about how this is a unique crime and that we, you know, there's no reason to be constantly in fear of crime in New York. Uh, is part of the point of this movie, uh, but then to make a procedural out of it, a weekly procedural. <laughs> I was thinking. Well,
0: I mean, and I, I think that's a separate yeah, choice, right? right? Like that's of a course. later choice that of comes down the road later when you're like, oh was- man, this thing was really popular. Um, actually, I think what's really interesting you you brought it up as like, oh, there's no there's no reason to be scared of crime in in New York City. Honestly, the opening narration, other than that weird definition of authority. And some of the narration in the film, as a whole, often uh, often kind of sounds like uh, newsreel yeah. uh, narration, which I thought was really fascinating. Coming right off the war, you know, the war only being a right. few years previously, just how much it sounds like that, and then newsreel f- doesn't sound that di- newsreel, yeah. you know, pre-war newsreel, and even during news uh, war newsreel, often served as not just propaganda but also advertisement right? right like you you see like newsreels about like oh this new you know you know ex, you know see this new and interesting place that you haven't thought about visiting and like it does kind of feel like somebody turned that into
1: a police procedural it's like ah <laughs> a little bit come
0: and visit new york we are probably won't be murdered yeah
1: and where where people are just like you and we we get the, the and
0: are really nice and like everybody treat each other everybody really well saw... and all follow the law
1: yeah and and sometimes they're they're jerks to, to who who'll say, "Did you see the figure on that dead woman?" to uh, to another lady, and then look at her and, <laughs> and roll his eyes. It's really
0: upsetting. Yeah. It's the most upsetting scene in the entire movie. Yeah. honestly. Uh, it's like, but, what the fuck are you doing, dude? Yeah, he's not What's a great guy. What's this thing? Um, but she uh, didn't ask for a commentary on herself. Thank you very much.
1: No, bringing up the newsreel stuff. You know, this is this, there's a lot of very documentary stuff going on here. Uh and it's it's safe to assume that our cinematographer and, and a lot of movie makers at this time uh got their first feel for making movies by shooting stuff during the war, right? Oh, <laughs> shooting yeah, stuff. I'm by sure, shooting yeah, film absolutely. during the war, not shooting people. Yeah, well, yeah. Um
0: Well, I mean, but, <laughs> honestly because of the nature of the thing, a lot of them probably also got their stro- their start yeah.
1: actually shooting stuff. <laughs> yes, yes. But uh But yeah, it's uh it's you know, people who are used to shooting live environments with no lighting setups and no, no, uh, special mic setups other than maybe what's mounted on the camera. Right. Which Um, is what
0: plays into the producer's sort of discussion at the beginning of like, this is, we don't have sets. We didn't use sets. We didn't use studio. There's
1: something like 185 locations in this movie (laughs) and they're all over, all over New York. Uh, all over the the boroughs area. It's uh, you know, the the young detective lives in Astoria, you know, and and everybody's everywhere. Um, and it's you know, there are times where that is actually to its detriment. I think they probably could have mic'd the interior of some of the apartment shoots better. There's times where it sounds yeah, that's probably true. Sounds yeah, flat, yeah. particularly at. Uh, the young detective's house, Jimmy's house, with him, in conversations with his wife. Right. Um,
0: I mean, I would, I would say that, that in general, like, if I'm going to be not very um, generous, the the entire thing does feel a little rushed. Yeah. Like, I don't know what their time budget was and some of that stuff, but the entire film does feel like it just has that feel of a film that went from well, nothing to script to movie to like release as quickly as somebody could afford to make that happen.
1: So one of the, one of the bases for this movie is actually a, uh, a photo book put out by a photographer of, uh, various like fire scenes and crime scene photography and, and day in the life photography called naked city, uh, that was put out. And then, uh, one of the reasons I think some of this stuff feels rushed is that they are filming it in New York on location during a normal day. Right. There's For sure. yeah. There's a so, story. Well, totally. Totally. There's a story. One of the, one of the features shares, and I can't remember if it's a, the Donna Polan or, uh, or the James Sanders one. Uh, but, but one of them mentions that, uh, uh, I think it was the, the guy who played Jimmy, Don Taylor. Um, or, or one of the other detectives uh, in a scene in the subway, um, got stuck on the subway car, like like <laughs> like didn't get off uh, before it left because the the scene was them getting on the train um, and then didn't, they didn't get off. It, it might have been so yeah, Ted uh when he's running when he first escapes. It might have been that scene. Uh, so so he had to ride it like two stops. Before he could get get off and get back on and get back to the film crew,
0: <laughs> that's
1: hilarious. Because they're really, you know, they're live. They're they're just doing they're, it there. Yeah. yeah.
0: No. Yeah. Totally. And, that, and I get that. And we don't we don't get the thing we get yeah. now. They didn't get the thing. I, I well, honestly, even, it seems like they didn't get then, the thing you get now, which is like shutting off the entire fucking block right. of the city or whatever. You know,
1: you shoot something in New York now. Something of this scale being shot in New York would either be would then have been shot. On sound stages and in backlots in in right. LA, would now be shot in Vancouver if they wanted street scenes where they could right cut off all those street scenes or Toronto or occasionally Cleveland and, and Pittsburgh and down the line for like Batman and Spider Man movies, uh, but right uh, <clears throat> um
0: or 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 if it's indie, it would be Gorilla, yeah. it would be this, but with yeah. like. And of making course, making sure that the cops don't catch on. You do,
1: you do get shoot. occasional uh, street shooting in New York. I'm sure there's a, probably every day there's a block or two, if not twenty, shut down yeah. for some some production. People do still film on the street in New York, uh, but uh, but something of this scale, all over the city, big Hollywood production for for a big movie, is very interesting. Uh Mark Hallinger, who's the producer who did the voiceover, incidentally, uh he was only forty four and died of a heart attack like I saw that before that's the wild. movie came out.
0: While he was reviewing the final cut.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy.
0: That is a that is a really I mean yeah, that, that's that that's a really sort of a, a sort of sad thing to think about, honestly. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um but yeah, that that narration just So the way it starts is you know, it starts it starts like Orson Wells doing the same sort of opening credits narration. And and when Wells does it and when, when he starts it here uh when Hellinger starts it here, it's it's almost fun, right? He's yeah, playing no, it's with got us a, here. He's playing with our yeah. expectations of what a movie's going to be because he's talking to us instead of, you know, a slow overture. As names pop up on the screen, uh,
0: some unnecessary American flags. Yes, that seems yes, to be a yes. part of the course around this time.
1: Yes, and we're already getting uh, real images of the city. You know, this big helicopter shot zooming in on on Manhattan. Um. And uh, yeah, it's just stylistically it's different, and the fact that they're really in New York makes it that different, right?
0: Yeah, and you can you can definitely feel that, right? Yeah. Like when you're watching, you're like, it, it feels really not. I say weird only in the sense that you don't you don't get this right experience very often. Right? It's
1: atypical, um, is what you mean by yeah. weird. There, yes, yeah, yeah, and. <laughs> Yeah, it's just
0: um, there's a lot of interesting. And for that, I think it's a on. really valuable film. Yeah. Like, and and as the so did the, the Library the of Congress, obviously. But right, and as the as the architect mentioned, at that, that snapshot of yeah, like you would just not get that from any other film because you're just not going to get a movie that's shot in in New York, right, on location, just all over the fucking city, right. Like, and very... there's probably not a lot of films that exist at other time periods that yeah. have done that enough to actually be useful. It reminds me of that other film. I don't remember what movie it was, but where they did that essentially for France. Yeah. Prime for Paris. It was, uh,
1: it was, uh, Modus yeah. saved uh, yeah, from drowning is one of the things yeah. we talked about with, with that, with Paris. Yeah.
0: And those, those things are nice. That it's, it's nice that those things exist. I think that is, there's all the movie has a lot of interesting things going for it. It's just, it's, it's, it's its depth of political thought is just not one of them. Right, right. And like I said, some of the the pacing is a little is is iffy at times. I mean, not so bad to in any way make it unwatchable. It's just you know, yeah, yeah. a little a little iffy sometimes.
1: Yeah, and the its depth of political thought not being all that deep uh, is not only a problem from me. As who I am, wanting to enjoy this movie, but also in not, in being shallow, it's also contradictory in a lot of ways. And right, it's it, not, it paints a non-existent. And the contradiction is the point. Of a fantasy either now. right, yeah. <laughs> like if the right. contradiction were part of the point, that it's that the world is more complicated than you want it to be. Sure, but that's not what the movie's trying to say either. Right? So.
0: Yeah, yeah. The movie, the movie painted a picture of a fantasy land. Yeah. And, the problem, and we get into that problem that we've talked about before, which is painting a yeah. fantasy land in a place that actually exists at a time that actually exists is always a, a weird, you know, an, a, an unfortunate thing to yeah. do, right? Like, yeah. And you're this, telling people, a, a basically, you're, in that right. sense, telling people a lie, right?
1: Right. And as as part of fantasy land, we get the uh, ethnic ethnic town side party. Where, where our main characters go and interact with a bunch of stereotypes who,
0: right? Yeah, who and that's that's a yeah. whole other problem, right? It's just it gets very, that that extra like that extra level of stereotypicalness is is is, for me honestly the the, actually the worst part about the film yeah. is just because I you love- watch it and you're like you didn't have to do that like you didn't have to like do that thing where you just like make us one hundred percent sure what. Yeah. pseudo ethnicity this person's right. from. I, do... like, I didn't I did not need to know just how super duper you know whatever like I well like, Irish is the most obvious one this yeah. person is.
1: I do love that every I think this movie is almost satirical in that every whim of the police seems to work out.
0: Yeah uh, that, even the that, ones true. that really don't <laughs> yeah. make sense.
1: Yeah it's things like... that
0: like the like yeah, that, that like that rookie cop being able to be like, Well, I'm gonna just go run down this non existent yeah. lead and hope it right. works out. Oh shit, it worked out.
1: <laughs> yeah. Like oh it unexpectedly. Oh, I walked in I walked into and, and sure maybe off screen he walks into twenty other wrestling uh
0: uh right. gyms. Yeah. Yeah. But he
1: walks into one and says, Hey, do you know a wrestler who plays the harmonica? And uh
0: <laughs> Oh yeah, old harmonica gym.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we was like what are you
0: fucking talking
1: about? Harmonica Bill, I'll say, um, I or Willie. But I, <laughs> but yeah, but like, you know, <laughs> no, no, but literally they call him that. Like
0: that's... I know. I know exactly. I, yeah, I mean, you know, names yeah. aside, like yeah. it's and and it happens later too, right? right? Like, like the lady the... at the diner is like, right. "Oh yeah, he plays the whatchamacallit yeah. over and over yeah. and over again, which well, I don't know what's." Oh, no, he's like a, a
1: wrestler is. boxer. What is what do yeah. I know? Uh, Somebody just really, really
0: desperately wanted to put whatchamacallit in the damn film like
1: 85 times is what they wanted to do. They're like, I love this phrase. Put it in there. (laughs) But yeah, so it's in the amount of times that those things like, like even the guy running down the stolen jewelry, like that's the break in the case. It's a thing that shouldn't work. And because it's a thing that shouldn't work, there's a winking at the audience, too, I, I feel like. There is, like. yeah. And, well, and that's, well, that's
0: the problem, right? Is there a winking or isn't there, right? Like, it's either winking or it's just total lack of sort of a desire to tell an honest story about yeah. how this sort of stuff would work. It, it's almost impossible to know the answer to that, right? Yeah. It
1: just is. Yeah. Uh, Bosley Crowther, the, uh, the film critic, I think, what was he? Was he New York Times at the time, I think? Um, who we've talked about Certainly, in previous episodes for films of this uh this era uh he he said he had problems with the script um but uh but praise the location shooting of the film too,
0: yeah, the same yeah we're sort all on the same page,
1: yeah 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 yeah, the <laughs>
0: um. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's no way you could watch this film and look at it and be like, "Yeah, this script flawless." Right, right. You know, it's just you're—they're not going to do that. That's just—I can't imagine anybody walking out of this feeling that way.
1: Right. I also i, I gotta say, I kind of like the climax for it being uh, kind of a, a funhouse mirror, third man climax too. Like in the third man, it's everybody chasing. Uh, Orson Welles through, uh, through the sewer, right, underground. Uh, but but in this we've got we've got the bad guy running to, uh, who's just like a low level thug, right? You know he's not the mastermind right. here. Orson Welles is the mastermind in, in the third man. Here we've got the the same uh, guy running from the cops who are converging on him. Uh, but he goes up instead of down. But it's still this big right. public infrastructure set piece that he's going through. You know, this isn't something we talked about with Third Man at all. But but the idea that that he's trying to escape into this public infrastructure uh, that obviously has a finite end, so he's not going to get right. out of yeah, it. Yeah,
0: it's, it's practically ridiculous. Yeah. yeah,
1: it's practically ridiculous. And yeah, it's I don't know. Maybe there's something to be said for for that use of architecture too. But obviously in the third man it's also fake. You know, that's not a real thing that exists. Those those subterranean areas uh of right. of that size uh whereas here we're on the Williamsburg Bridge. It's a real thing. We could go there if we wanted, you know. Right. Well, not not quite where they are. I don't think you and I could probably climb the Williamsburg no, Bridge. No, I know
0: but... we would probably get shot at, frankly. Yeah. Um but yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> We'd be arrested and sent to yeah. Gitmo. Um for for whatever terrorist thing they would assume we're doing.
0: Yeah, would they would just whatever they would pin on us. Yeah. Uh,
1: only terrorists climb bridges. Yeah. We know this. Uh interestingly, well this is a very, very pro police, pro law and order film from Jules Dassin from nineteen forty eight. In nineteen forty seven Jules Dassin made "Brute Force," which is about uh, really the atrocities of the American penal system. Uh, interesting, and we'll be watching it in three weeks. Cool.
0: Uh that sounds like you know. I mean, it's it, what sounds to me like is this 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 director just sort of gets all over the map, right? Yeah, Dassin does a lot of things, right? you yeah. know, and that, that and there's a, there's within, some value in that, right? Within that, a certain
1: there's, there's, criminality. You know, we've also right. seen from him Raf- Rafifi. Right. We've seen... Right, a um, very specific focus, yeah. right? Yeah. Um,
0: but I, I like, I mean,
1: you know, Rafifi's good. Yeah. You know. Um, But with Brute Force coming out in, coming to us in three weeks, next week we see a, a sort of another edge to this conversation uh, with the French film Le Haine um, from Matthew uh, Kosovic uh, from 1995. Uh, which is uh, if this is a pro, if The Naked City is a pro police movie, The hate is definitely uh, the all cops are bad uh, <laughs> flip side yeah. Yeah. to that argument. Yeah.
0: Well, um, it's it's all cops, all guns, all yeah. kinds of stuff, yes. right? This it's a fascinating movie. I'm excited to talk. Yeah, about so it.
1: we look forward to talking about that. Uh, but this week we've been talking about Jules Dassin's The Naked City from 1948. Uh, Thank you once again for listening to Lost in Criterion. I am, as always, the Adam Glass. With me, as always, John Patrick Oatari Dorgan. And we'll see you next time. Hosted by John Patrick Oatari Gorgon and the Adam Glass, who edits it. We're a production of withtoothbrains.com. Jonathan Hape does the music. Check him out at jonathanhape.bandcamp.com. And hey, if you like us, why don't you give us a review on iTunes, like us on Facebook, and support us on Patreon? It's patreon.com slash lost in Criterion. We'd appreciate it.